does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. 8 o'clock hour on a Tuesday. Lots of pictures going around on social media of the beautiful sunrise. I hope you folks are enjoying it. Jake Query along with Kevin Bowen. Sam Fritz here as well. Again, I want to thank uh, last night, Michelle Hatcher as well as Kevin Lewis for being kind enough to ask me to come out to the Indiana Association, or excuse me, Indiana Officials Association Banquet, uh, the annual banquet at the end of the year where they honor and recognize all of the fi- the officials. It was great to see the passion that all of them have, not only for officiating the very difficult rules and regulations and dealing with the even more difficult parents, in my opinion, uh, around Central Indiana when it comes to youth sports, but also understanding their contribution to bettering situations, Kevin, not just for the kids that are going to go D1, but for all levels of kids across all sports. They honored every sport there across country, baseball, softball, all of them. Um, pretty dedicated men and women towards helping out with young people and their sports opportunities. Yeah, very thankless. Um, so glad that they were able to have a night like that. It's not just those that we'll see Saturday night inside of Gainbridge Fieldhouse for the state finals. Obviously, a ton of sports, like you said, at all levels. Uh, in all ages, that we're very grateful to have the officials that do sacrifice to do that. Um, speaking of the state finals this Saturday night, let's head to the Payless Liquors Hotline. We're very lucky to have him in this market. He is Kyle Nedrip from the Star, who does an incredible job covering high school sports here locally. And Kyle, if you don't mind, I actually kind of want to go to the tournament here for a second. I think one of my favorite things each year is, you know, getting a bracket and realizing, oh wow. Florida Atlantic's leading score is from the state of Indiana. Um, and, and I almost have forgotten, like, wow, you know, Nigel Pack and, and, and you know, thinking back on those Lawrence Central teams. So uh, just from a local standpoint, what, what do you recall? Well, let's start with those two names, about John L. Davis from Gary, who's leading Florida Atlantic in scoring, and uh, Nigel Pack at uh, Lawrence Central. Yeah, I obviously covered Nigel uh, more than – John L. Uh, Davis, but uh, yeah, Nigel, I mean, he was on those teams with LC that had, you know, they had uh, the Davises, they had, you know, Jake LaRavia, and were probably the best team, you know, in the, in the state, in the, uh, what would that have been, the 2019-20 uh, season, and uh, they, they, you know, they went into the uh, sectional there, that you know, the, the 2020 sectional, of course, was uh you know, just a phenomenal sectional at Lawrence Central. They got beat by Lawrence North, uh, you know, pretty handily. They struggled with Lawrence North. They lost three games all year. Those were all three games for to Lawrence North. And, uh, you know, and then I think it was the – gosh, I'm losing my track of my years. But the the year previously, they went into the uh, the regional lot. Yeah, it was 19, lost to Ben Davis and had a really good team that year. I thought they were potentially best team in the state. Ben Davis beat them in the morning game of the regional at Southport, and then Ben Davis goes on all the way to the state uh, championship game that year. They they with Dewan Jones and uh, Jalen Wyndham. So, uh, but Nigel was just a phenomenal point guard. You know, as you see now, I mean, a lot of the way he played then is how he plays now. He's just a phenomenal shooter. 
who can also handle the ball. The knock on him uh, from a recruiting standpoint, people didn't think he was maybe athletic enough, had the, you know, had the athleticism to play at a super high level. He got offered by Kansas State, which was his uh, biggest offer. He, I, I really thought he might go to Belmont. Belmont was a, a school that had really been on him for a long time, and and uh, I thought he might end up going there. But then Kansas State offered sort of late in the game, and I remember talking to him. He was in the airport in Kansas City, and and you know right after he committed, and just felt like that was a great opportunity for him and he turned out to be right and uh you know obviously had two great years there and then went on to miami and uh you know kind of funny he became the face of this nil stuff we, he's, he's just you know super humble his parents are too and and uh you know he he, he got this money that uh kind of became this this big deal which was you know somewhat you know he, he's you, know, you wouldn't think of him as this big uh nil guy but anyway he's he just a really good point guard and then uh, John L. Davis from uh, Gary, you know, I saw him play. He played in the summer too on a on a uh, Indy Heat team that that he was sort of, uh, you know, he's a key part of, but not necessarily a star player on that team. He was in the 2020 class, so he made the All Star team. You know, he's a big guard. Obviously, he he, uh, you know, he, he didn't have big time offers coming out of high school, but uh, you know, I think probably because his outside shooting uh, was probably the reason for that, but. Um, you know, obviously he's become, you know, just, a, you know, watching him the other night, I'm like, man, he's really, he's really come on a lot. Um, you know, just a very a handful at his size uh, to deal with. So uh, he made the all-star team that year, but we didn't get a chance to see him play in that venue because the uh, pandemic. So, you know, that was kind of unfortunate. People didn't get a chance to see him play. I think he would have really thrived, you know, on that all-star team. And then, you know, you might have had a, a more of a memory of him, or you know, a state tournament run, you know, to uh, to ha- to attach to him too, because they had a really good team that year. But uh, but yeah, both those guys, you know, I, I covered both of them. Obviously, Nigel a lot more uh, than uh, than Davis, but uh, yeah, fun to see that Miami team really fits what Nigel does well. So you know, I think they're gonna. Uh, you know they got a chance to do some things here, but I, yeah, they got a tough matchup. But I, he's he's a big part of what they're doing. I mean, great game against Houston, Kyle. Yeah. I want to um, look at with the state finals. Kyle Nedenrip is our guest on the Payless Sugars Hotline. With the state finals upcoming, you never know, right? Which players are going to be the ones that four years from now we're going to you know they're going to be playing in the tournament or three years from now, whatever it might be. Um, so I'm going to begin four A and kind of go backward here, but. I want to begin with Florida Badunga because Kokomo's twenty four and four. He appears to be a Sean Kemp level dominant big man in Indiana high school basketball. So then you wonder, like, well, gosh, they have four losses. Um, ben Davis is obviously going for history here as being unbeaten. My question for you about Badunga is: We knew coming into the year he is going to be a great player. Has he improved even as the season has gone on? And that's why maybe the four losses. Or is has he been dominant from the get go? No, he's been dominant from the get go. They had uh, they had uh, some some injuries to start the season. Uh, Shane Spear, who uh, is is a big part of their team, uh, wasn't playing uh, early. I think the first I want to say, I, and this not maybe not exactly right, but three or four games of the year, he didn't play in the Ben Davis game the first time. Um, you know, and there's been times this year. You know, Kokomo's guard play at times has, has not been you know, where it needs to be probably. And that, that most of that was early in the year. Uh, you know, now they are you know, really playing well, obviously to get to this point, but 
you know, Flory's just such a, you know, a dominant for, I mean, it's just obvious he's, what he's doing is, uh, is sensational, you know, night in, night out. He's, he's just a phenomenal player. Um, you know, but I see he, he's just improved, you know, for a guy who hasn't played a ton of, you know, organized basketball in his life, you know, to see where he came from last year to this year, to me, you know, I was talking to John Peckinpah about this yesterday, but he's, he's just come so far already, you know, as, as a player and, you know, I know all the recruiting rankings are, are going crazy on him now, but I, I that the biggest thing to me is just he's he's just come so far. And he does what he's, you know, I think partly because he hasn't played a ton of basketball, he does what he's told. You know, he doesn't have bad habits. You know, he, he runs the floor block to block. He, he blocks shots. He, um, you know, he, he gets in the middle and, and, and rebounds his butt off. And, and uh, you know, he's just, a, he's just a four. He doesn't try to do too much. I do think his – you know, his free throw shooting and, and his touch and everything has, has definitely improved, you know, and that's, that's a, you know, I think a window into, you know, his mindset, his, uh, you know, his work ethic, um, you know, his ability to be coached and, you know, the times I've talked to him, just a very, uh, you know, down to earth, uh, easy, you know, easy guy to like, you know, I think that's why these Kokomo fans are just gaga over, over Flory is just like, he's so likable of a guy. He's obviously a great player, but, uh, you know, you see him out there after games, and kids signing autographs, taking pictures with him. He's smiling. He's he's interacting with them. It doesn't look like it's a chore uh, to him. I think he's just loving it, like, loving all this. And you know, they did lose. They did lose. You know, Ben Davis beat him. Uh, you know, I think that was a seven point game early on. It felt like Ben Davis kind of controlled that game uh, for the most part. Um, you know, he got in foul trouble. That's that's the thing about you know sometimes. You know, it's hard to officiate guys like that at times. It's hard for him to stay out of foul trouble at times. So they they did get him in foul trouble, and they do have a guy in Zane Doughty who you know he he, he can match up with them uh, to a, to a certain extent. And Zane played really well last time they played him. So you know, Ben Davis is you know they have all the pieces. You know, they have all everything you need to to go undefeated and win a state championship, and and uh, probably. You know, you a better all-round team, I would say, at every position than Kokomo. So, you know, that's the fascinating part of this matchup. Is, you know, I know everybody, you know, will think it's Flory versus the undefeated team, which it it, it, it is. Um, but uh, to me, a lot of it's going to depend on those other guys on Kokomo's team who have played a lot better uh, through down the stretch here. Obviously, they've won. They have a loss since uh, the end of. Uh, you know, 2022, they haven't lost any games in 2023. So they're, they've really been rolling. And, uh, you know, to me, that's kind of, how do they handle Ben Davis's full court pressure? And, uh, can they get some scoring, you know, other than going to Flory, uh, every possession. Yeah, Floria 25, 22 and five in their semi-state championship win over Penn. Again, Kyle Nedrup joined us here for the Indianapolis star. Kyle, it does seem like Marcus Burton from Penn, um, is probably the favorite for Mr. Basketball. To me, I'm shocked that anyone loves Notre Dame basketball as much as he clearly does and that he's still committed there despite the fact that they don't have a head coach right now. Obviously, you know, he's from a local area. Um, I was talking with a buddy of mine who was watching that game, Penn and Kokomo, on Saturday night and just was pretty amazed by Burton's ability to get in the lane whenever he wanted. Um, seems like that kind of makes up for maybe his, his lack of height. Yeah, he is just really, you know, he's super quick in in small spaces, and he can rise up and shoot. You know, he's got that ability to just get off the floor quick. You know, at his size, he can't be any taller. You know, he's probably you know five eleven or whatever. But uh, you know, he just really, uh, you know, he really can get any shot he wants to almost at any time. And, and that, you know, 
I wish, you know, there was some way we could have both those teams come down here and play this weekend and play like a Final Four type situation because I think people would love to see Marcus Burton play too. And, and I agree with you. I think he's his overall resume this season and career-wise, I think uh, – you know, I think he's probably going to be the favorite, and I know the votes are still out and and uh, throughout the uh, into the weekend. I think into uh, Sunday or Monday, but uh, but I think I think he's going to have a really good shot at it, and partly because the other guys who are up for it maybe didn't have tournament runs, or you know, or you kind of get out of sight, out of mind a little bit. Uh, but I I do think he's put together the best uh, resume of anybody. Uh, but yeah, he, he's. It sounds to me like he's uh, sticking with Notre Dame, and and maybe he knows, maybe he knows something. Maybe he, you know, they, they've been telling him like, hey, here's who we're trying to get, and and that sort of thing. And like you said, he's in their backyard, so um, you know, I, I think that's somewhere. You know, he didn't have a lot of big time offers. Uh, you know, at the time he committed to Notre Dame, they offered him, and he committed relatively quickly after that. So. I think uh, all along it was like, well, if Notre Dame offers, that's probably where he's going to go. And, and clearly, he uh, he wants to play for the Irish, so that's uh, that's great for them. And and uh, yeah, I can't wait to see what he does. I think he's going to be one of those guys that you're like a couple of years from now, you'll be like, oh man, he's remember Marcus Burton, you know, and, and he's he's making a tournament run or he's having a great tournament game. You know, he's one of the he's just a really really fun player to watch, and uh, looking forward to seeing him, you know, with the All Stars this summer too. Obviously, Ben Davis, Kokomo, that storyline speaks for itself when you consider, like we've talked about, the player um, in Floyd Badunga and then the undefeated season and Ben Davis being really one of the best teams the state has ever seen. Uh, from a other storyline standpoint, state finalized, Kyle, uh, your favorite storyline in Class 1A, 2A, or 3A? Well, yeah, you've got a lot of I'm actually uh, going to be writing about Northwood, which, uh, you know, I won't get too much into their story, but there's a, a pretty touching story there. The Northwood's been number one, you know, throughout the year, most of the year in 3A, uh, or right there anyway. Uh, they're playing Garen Catholic in the 3A game, and, you know, they've got a, you know, a team that's you – know, their front, their starting five, just very good uh, – good players they haven't made a tournament run in a long time to make it to this point they've never done it so uh, that's a good story Matt Roth I talked to him yesterday coaching at uh, Fort Wayne Blackhawk Uh, you know Matt of course played for uh, for IU and and he he coached under uh, Mark Davidson Uh, of course Mark uh, died last year after his cancer battle Uh, but uh, you know we talked about you know what kind of impact uh, Coach Davidson had on on Matt as a you know, he coached, I think, from 2013 to 16 on that Blackhawk Christian staff, and then uh, you know went off and did some other things. But uh, you know, had a connection with him, Jimmy Davidson, who's Mark's uh, son, one of his sons, is a senior on the team. And uh, you know, I haven't had a chance to get to know Mark over the years. Just uh, you know, just it was amazing to me how he handled that cancer situation and and knew the end was near last year and continued to coach. He would lay down on the bus, you know, on the way to games. He was clearly just uh, exhausted but then once the game started he would be up and coaching and you know it's something I'll never forget you know that that uh what he did and you know just the courage he you know he he shared with everybody you know and it wasn't all about him but just his his uh, nature and and uh, Matt Roth talked about that uh some yesterday but from a game standpoint that 2A game is is that Blackhawk Christian team against Linton Stockton is is a phenomenal game uh both those teams have been you know playing against really good competition all year. Linton Stockton has not lost to a, an Indiana team. They're only lost to a Kentucky team early in the season. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's that Linton Stockton team, very good, very physical. 
uh, and then Blackout Christian kind of the same way. So that that should be a great game. Two A has been really good as a class this year. You know, Southwood and Lutheran. Luther, Lutheran's been kind of uh, living on the edge in one A and winning some really close games. And you know, both those teams kind of play the same style. So I think they're both you know in that early game at Gambridge, they're going to be one to get up and down and and uh, get after each other in full court press and. And uh, I think Lutheran probably the favorite there. Southwood, this uh, they're 15 and 12, so you you don't see that happen very often. They they lost to a lot of 2A and 3A teams. I think all 2A and 3A teams uh, they play a tough schedule. Uh, but uh, yeah, their their coach uh, Christian Perry, he was an assistant there uh, for a long time, and uh, you know he, he had some good some good lines yesterday. I thought about this team they've had, but you, they're just. Uh, they're a team that's played a better schedule. That's why their record is what it is. But if they win it, they would be the team with the most losses ever to win a, a state championship game. So uh, that's some, something else. But, uh, but, yeah, I mean, all four of these games are, I think, have a lot of intrigue to them. And, you know, didn't even mention Garen Catholic in 3A. They're they're obviously having a great year under uh, Bobby Allen and, and uh, have a kid named Bryson Cardinal who, uh, you know, people probably remember the Cardinal name, and, and uh, he's having a good season. Uh, had a really good semi-state uh, for uh, Garen Catholic. He's only a sophomore, but uh, starting to come into his own as a player. And they've got other, you know, they're a very balanced team. So is he related uh, to Brian? Yeah, that's his son. Yeah. Really? Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, he was JV starting the year, and then you know has come on and uh, you know playing a key role uh, for that for that team. So uh, so yeah, I talked to Bobby Allen about him yesterday. He's been a big part of their their tournament, you know, here the last few weeks. So. Uh, but yeah, just uh, they'll, I think they'll give Northwood a good game. I think all four of these games potentially uh, could, uh, you know, could be pretty interesting. If either one of you guys gets this right, I'll buy you a case of PBR. You've been crunching something over there. Well, I, I he triggered something in my head because I thought this actually. I, I thought I knew the answer to this. I looked it up. I'm like, oh, I'd forgotten about this. Uh, you mentioned if Southwood were to win it, Kyle, they would be the school that has the most losses of a state champion in Indiana. Since it's also March and we're in the midst of March Madness, do you know what team has the most losses as an NCAA tournament champion? Oh, boy. I will tell you, it's in my lifetime, but not Kevin's. Ooh, I, my first guess was going to be like UConn as an eight seed okay, one of those UConn, years. UConn had ten. Okay. No, no, no. UConn had nine. U, UConn had nine. Indiana had the record. At twenty six and nine in nineteen eighty one, and then Villanova and UConn both have ten, but this school has eleven. I'll give you the year, Kyle. You want the I, year? Would that me, help? You? Let me let me guess. Okay. Uh, was it in the uh, in the eighties? It was. Um, I would say Danny Manning and that Kansas team. Bingo, Danny and the Miracles. Kyle yeah. and Rip. Nice. Now, Look Kyle, that. if you can if you can tell me who they beat in the championship game or the scored half, I'll be impressed. <laughs> scored half. Well, there's a reason why. Well, I know uh, they beat Oklahoma because I love that Oklahoma team. But and I thought I remember I was like what ten or eleven years old, and I I was like, man, I remember telling my neighbor I was outside shooting baskets before. I, I don't know why I remember this, but he he walked by. He's like, I'm telling you, Kansas is going to win. I said, no way, Oklahoma's going to destroy him and uh you know of course they lost they ended up losing Mookie Blaylock Stacy King on that uh, that great Ricky Oklahoma Grace, team Ricky Grace Kevin yeah, Pritchard they, by the they, way they, on the they, Kansas team and here's the interesting thing that was the 50th that that final four was at Kemper Arena in Kansas City because it was the 50th anniversary of the NCAA tournament 
and it was the 50th tournament. And at halftime, the game was tied at 50 to 50. Oh wow! Yeah, I don't remember that. But yeah, that's Oklahoma amazing. Kansas. This is see. This is this is the kind yeah. of see. Kyle coming. has a life here. That's my, why he doesn't remember life, the I, fifty Kyle, to fifty my halftime. My whole life, time. I've been told this is useless information, mm-hmm. and I just made it useful at eight twenty-two <laughs> on this day. Kyle, we have kept you way too long, but we'll end with this. Um, early returns from the change in schedule. The regional round now just one game. The semi-state round, uh, two games. I know that's you know kind of how it used to be, but just the early returns from fans and teams on what they thought about it. Well, Twitter's always, you're always going to get probably more negative, you know, and I, I sent that question out there yesterday or two days ago, uh, and, it, and I expected that, you know, and it, there were some really good answers, I thought, too, and some, some uh, you know, some, you know, different thoughts on it, and I, you know, just touched base with Paul Knightig yesterday and, and, you know, about that a little bit, and, you know, I, I think there's, uh, you know, it's it's a, it's a long day, you know, but, uh you know, I think the early returns are mixed. I, w- I would say people, you know, people don't like change in a lot of ways. You know, and I think people want, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, and, I, and that's kind of my opinion too, is you give it a couple of years and see maybe what it looks like and and all that. You're going to end up, either way, you're going to have a two-game day or a, you have to win two games in a day either round. Uh, to me, I always kind of thought, you know, you, you kind of can gain some momentum by doing this in the semi-state round, but you know, there's also some, you know, some people who say, well, you're kind of devaluing a, a regional championship by only making it one game, which I get that too. So, you know, there's, I guess there's mixed uh, as, as anything goes, but you know, it makes it a longer day. It makes it kind of a, but, but it makes it sort of a, a tournament at one site uh, sort of thing too, which is fun. I think you have four teams kind of going to the same place, vying for the same prize and, and uh all in one day so i, I kind of like that as well you know it's just it's basically what the regional used to be just a, a round later so um you know but and also you have all the teams at the same spot in the same class so you know you could argue that's better or worse but you know i think that's a you know it's a it's different you know i'm always used to walking out of the semi-state saturday where it's still light out and it's it's kind of nice out and you know to walk out of newcastle saturday and it was snowing it was a snow globe uh, driving home and i was like man am i driving home from the hall of fame in december or is this is this a semi-state it didn't it didn't feel right but uh how about yeah. that jennings county crowd at, at oh. newcastle kyle amazing i mean just totally amazing i said they should leave him there and put purple shirts on them and let them stay for the the Brownsburg Ben Davis game. They were phenomenal. And I expected that, but to see it in person was just, uh, it was really amazing. A great job uh, by that, that uh, school uh, corporation and those fans. That was, that was fantastic for those kids to uh, play in that environment. Yeah. Some really cool sights from Newcastle this weekend. Kyle's got your coverage all week long leading into Saturday, the boys state finals from Gainbridge bridge field house. Kyle, I feel this way every year. We're, we're so lucky to have you here locally. The high school sports scene deserves the attention that you give it. So thank you for that. And thanks for sharing some insight with us. You bet guys. Thanks for having me on. It's a great Kyle Menrip right there on the Payless liquors hotline. I don't know if you saw that Jake on Saturday. So you had Brownsburg and Ben Davis and then Jennings County out at um, Newcastle for the 4A oh, semi-state. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't – I I guess you get it in 4A a little bit, maybe from more of the southern – I mean, Kokomo certainly is, is, is providing that. But the scene inside of Newcastle – You're listening to Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Jake, you got to love Sam Fritz filling in for Mark Dykton. 
giving Tony East a good morning, Mr. East, <laughs> and referencing him as he brought him on to the show. That's very proper. You know that's that very we, polite. By I'm not going to say any names, okay? But when Edron James was drafted by the Colts, they had the old conference calls that they would do where they'd bring in the phone and sit it down. They had oh, sure. the six speakers yeah. and all the local people would sit around. And they're like, we're going to call Edron James' house. You guys can all do a, a group interview and get the audio. And one of the members of the local media who shall go nameless was appointed as the one to begin the conversation. Okay. And a guy answers at Edron James's house, and the reporter says, hello, Edron? And the guy said, nah, this is dog. And he said, oh, hello, Mr. <laughs> dog. Is Edron available by chance? <laughs> and Edron James got on and said, did you just call my dog Mr. Dog? <laughs> Oh, so that reporter has been known as Mr. Dog ever since. Is that reporter still in market? Yes. All I know is that if I say Mr. East, the worst that happens is I get laughed at. Right. If I say, hey, yo, Tone, I have to get called into somebody's <laughs> office. That's probably true. That was a great Tone. Uh, Tony East, Mr. East joins Mr. us. Mr. Dog. Uh, Tony, did you like the uh, proper introduction there from Sam Fritz? <laughs> I did. Thank you, Mr. Bone and Mr. Query, for that. <laughs> Call me Mr. Dog, please. <laughs> uh, Tony, last night I'm sitting there like midway through the fourth quarter. I'm thinking, wow, the Pacers are up nine. Um, Chicago looks like they could lose in Philly. This all of a sudden could be like the Pacers might be moving into the final couple weeks of the season here, potentially fighting for a play-in spot. And then sure enough, ten minutes later, the Pacers blow it. The Bulls win in double overtime, and I felt like last night was, I don't know if it's a fatal blow, but it was a big blow to any sort of play-in hopes. It's very crushing for any play-in chase that they had. I'll have a story on that coming out soon because I talked to some players about what it would mean to make it. But, yeah, you know, Charlotte was the last kind of easier game per se. It clearly wasn't, but uh, at least on the schedule it looked like for the Pacers for – a little bit coming up. They've got Toronto, Boston, Atlanta, some tougher opponents at home. And not that Chicago's schedule is easy. They're just tough, too. But they beat a really good Philly team that had won eight in a row on the road at double OT. So uh, two and a half games doesn't look like much or two games, whatever it is, in the standings. But there's only ten games left. You, know, you, have, to out, you have to do three games better than them, essentially, over a ten-game stretch if you're the Pacers and you want to make the play in now. It's tough to do given their schedule and given that, you know, Halliburton currently not healthy and playing. So – uh, last night, if the Pacers did want to make the plan, was was devastating to their chances of doing that. I was telling Kevin earlier, uh, Mr. East, that <laughs> the the danger is probably the wrong word. The thing to me that's always enigmatic when you get to a, this point in the year, and if the Pacers are playing out the schedule, which I think they're playing out the schedule, the thing that's a danger is to get overly intrigued by players that look like they are really showing you something and then you realize that they're actually players that are on a roster that's playing out the schedule and making sure that you don't think wow this guy's a player where there's a difference between that and like a playoff type atmosphere who on this team Tony if you had to look at it are there any players that fall into that category and by that I mean they are certainly capable of putting up points right now but let's not pretend that that means that they are integral parts of future plan uh that's a good question i think that's what they're really trying to figure out right i think that's why you've seen more experimentation and more chances where rick carlisle saying things like we're trying to see if this guy can play make and we're trying to see if this guy can 
you know, take on more of a role because those are the playoff skills that you need, right? You can't be one-dimensional in the postseason or you will get picked on in some way, shape, or form or you will be causing the team problems. So I, I don't know that anyone is or isn't that right now, but I think they're trying to figure that out with basically every front court player that they've been, been trying out there that isn't named Miles Turner at this time, right? They keep toggling between Jalen Smith and Isaiah Jackson at the back of big spots all the time, trying to figure out if either of them can be something in the postseason for the next great or good or whatever Pacers team. And, you know, Jordan War is the guy they, they keep running through that, again, the, he was the guy that is just trying to get a little more playmaking reps, not like play through him, let him run pick and rolls, but just let him dribble and pass a little more. And uh, O'Shea Brissett, like they played all four of those guys together last night, for the, I think the first time ever in Charlotte uh, to see what they have with those guys. Those four stick out to me just because, they're all younger and, and playing in a position where the Pacers are, are maybe looking for a little bit more at the backup center spot or at the four in general. Uh, so I, I, that, that's guys that they're exploring with and, and figuring out what the right role is for, you know, your Aaron Smiths, your Andrew Nimbard as this team progresses into its next era is important too. Can they be starters? Are they bench guys? Can they, is Nimbard more better at the point or the two? What's Neesmith's ideal role? I think that's what they're figuring out, but I think those two are clearly – at least a little bit more solidly in a rotation on a good team. A T East NBA on Twitter. Mr. East to us here <laughs> inside of the drivehubler.com studio. Tony East, who covers the Pacers for SI.com and the Locked On Pacers podcast. He's with us right now. Tony, who is the uh, who's the Pacers player that's helped his cause the most this season? Helped his future with the team, future in the NBA the most? Uh, Neesmith, definitely. I just mentioned his name, but it just com- I, I would say that he helped his case just compared to where he was when they got it, right? Like with Boston, he just came off of a season where couldn't get on the court very much, right? People talk about with young players, like looking over your shoulder when you mess up. And he shot under 30% from deep last year with the Celtics, despite coming into the NBA as a guy that, you know, is kind of pegged as a shooter. And with the Pacers, he's been pretty, pretty good. He started all the time for them. He's been their best wing defender. They, they put him on Joel Embiid. I think that's probably the biggest endorsement for him that I can give, even though it didn't go great. Like, he's defended well enough this year that they were like, this is a thing we should try. And he shot it decently. He's putting the ball on the floor a few times and, and showing that, you know, before the season, it was kind of like, is this guy a player? Is he something we, you know, we can use? I, I'm pretty sure they liked him before the draft uh, in 2020 when they ended up, uh, or whenever he went pro, but they didn't end up getting him, obviously. But now they, they have him to figure out, can he fit with this team? Can he fit with this culture? Can we grow with him? And the answer has been, yeah, absolutely, right? And then um, earlier this week, Rick Carlisle said, after his 25-point game against Philadelphia, his career high night, he said, he's the kind of player we're trying to grow with. Just as a person, uh, he's been exactly kind of what they, they want to be. And so he's played well all year. He's, he's kind of squeezed into any lineup, uh, moved his way into the starting five. And Carlisle loves his attitude and the way he plays. So, He's definitely been the guy I think that has grown his stock the most of, you know, the the guys that didn't know. But I think Halliburton also has certainly gone from, you know, what can this guy be to, oh, wow, this guy is certainly amazing. And that, that doesn't really fit the criteria of the question as much, but certainly is an exceptional season. No, I think that's a really good point. I do want to get to Halliburton here in just a second. But I guess the flip side of what I just asked you, um, who has hurt himself the most with his future with the Pacers and the NBA this year? Yeah, both backup centers that I think they were hoping would be a little more. You know, Jalen Smith, they, they wanted to keep him so bad, they offered him the starting spot, right? And they had the limited contract option, so they had to do something uh, in those negotiations. But, you know, he's been better of late, I think. You know, they, they've, they've been putting him out there with a lot more success since 
like the beginning of February, I would say. And Isaiah Jackson, too, I think, you know, there was some, they, they were talking about him playing maybe the four and the five when he came out. And either of those guys, it's only their second year for Jackson. And second year was a team for both of them. But neither of them, I think, in the way that they may have hoped. You know, occasionally other centers would play, like Goka or whoever. Tice was playing for that stretch last month and in January too, right? So uh, I think those two have not had the, the year that they wanted or the Pacers wanted. I, I wouldn't say they're on the cusp of falling out of the league or anything, but those are the two guys that stand out to me in that way. Boy, Jackson to me is so intriguing, Tony, because he shows flashes where you're like, okay, if they just decide on him and feature him or whatever, he can do some things. But then at the same time, I don't know that he shows the uh, enough like durability and strength and probably defensive low block stability to be an every minute guy. Does that make sense? Like he seems like a spot guy and if that spot fits him for that night, he's pretty good. But otherwise, they've got to kind of figure out pick and choose where to use him. I 100% agree with that. And and the thing about him that's so interesting is I kind of ascribe this theory like you are positionally what you can guard. And he can't really guard centers right now. Like, he bulked up in the offseason, but he still is kind of too small to to really be a, a great post defender. But he's really good as a perimeter defender. Like, I, I remember having this thought when they played the Bulls and they won that game on Halbert's buzzer beater in the United Center. And I thought, you know, he is a they, – they would prefer to have him on DeRozan than Vucevic, like, easily. And he was in the game for a big stretch like that. And, like, that's still valuable. Like being able to defend DeMar DeRozan is really good. Like that's why what you're saying is you can have this guy out there and be really happy with what he gives you in spot minutes. I think that's why a lot of people are so intrigued by him and his skills. But at the same time, if you're better defending fours, it's harder for you to play the four on offense when you can't really shoot and you're more around the basket. So you just kind of have to have the right front court partner with him to, to kind of cover up for the things that he is and isn't good at at the same time. So yeah, his flashes are awesome. He gives them, an element that no one else on the team can with that athleticism and speed defensively. He's good at all these things, but at the same time, his weaknesses just create a problem where you have to have other certain skills on the floor. And that's why I think last night when they had him out there with Jalen Smith, I thought that was really interesting and something worth exploring down the stretch of the season. Yeah, last night had some really interesting lineups um, for the Pacers. Again, Tony East is with us here, T East NBA on Twitter. You hear him locked on Pacers podcast and also writes for SI.com. Uh, Tony, I know, well, I guess I don't know, and that's why that I'm asking you the, the, this question. <laughs> Could you kind of fill us in on the Tyrese Halliburton rookie extension? Like, when does that need to be done? When do you think it'll be done? Because literally, the more I watch the Pacers without him, I'm thinking to myself, oh, wow, if they have any sort of leverage in these negotiations, they just need to pop in film of the 4-14 four and 14 Pacers getting run off the floor <laughs> on a rather you know, frequent basis when he's not in the lineup. Yeah, four and fourteen with losses to Detroit and Charlotte and some other not so great teams in that stretch. I think um, ten of the yeah. fourteen losses, Tony, are by double digits when he's out too. Wow. Yeah, they they have not looked pretty without him. He is so much of their identity and ability and all that. And yeah, that I think is one of the biggest topics of this off season for them is what that rookie extension looks like because let's face it, he might just be a rookie max dude right now. And, and then the negotiation is very easy. In fact, I would say, he, you know, you're an all-star in year three, you are a rookie max dude by default. So I think the negotiation is going to be uh, about years. And, and this word that you're going to hear me a lot if we do cap stuff in the summer, escalators, right? This has been talked about with John Moran a lot recently. So 
The Pacers can offer him five years. No one else could. Um, do they go five years? Is it four years of the player option? Is it something like that? Uh, but escalators is something that if you if you make a rookie a designated rookie, if they make All NBA before in their fourth season, then their contract can be a higher percentage of the max. So it's if you're a player, you obviously want that in your contract. And Halburn certainly capable of making All NBA. He probably had a chance this year if he played enough games. Um, so if he gets that, his contract can even go up higher. So the negotiation is, you know, how much higher would it go? Is it for making All NBA? Is it making first team? All sorts of that kind of stuff. Uh, so we'll see where the Pacers and Halliburton go with that. Those sort of negotiations, those can start July 1st when he uh, enters the fourth league year of his contract. But certainly it seems like something the Pacers would be very motivated to get done. And uh, I think the goal is just get five years on the deal, five guaranteed years with the Pacers, no options, no nothing. The money, you know what, negotiate if you can. But I think having him for as long as possible seems like it should be goal one two and three for the Pacers with him in the offseason and does he seem to you to be a guy that seen would be totally cool with you know what I'm going to sign a five-year deal no outs no nothing yeah that that's you know that it's not common I guess like players obviously want all the control they could get but he loves India as it seems that at least he loves Indy he's a Midwest guy he likes the franchise he uh, at, you know, got the keys given to him at, at, at the 21 year old when he got here last year, 22 for most of this season. So he strikes me as a guy that would be okay with that. But at the same time, guys who have loved their market in the past, you know, Donovan Mitchell got a four year deal with a player option on the last year, like Zion did too. Like, yeah, it, it's, it's hard to negotiate in those situations sometimes, but you know, if you can get the five guaranteed years, you do it every single time. Okay, Tony East is with us here. T East NBA is where you can follow Tony on Twitter. Uh, Tony, I thought one of the cool aspects to this road trip for the Pacers, I was hoping you could share a little bit more on it. Uh, can you give our listeners some intel into how TJ McConnell got down to the uh, Charlotte area? Yeah, that that was really cool to hear. He actually didn't fly to Charlotte at all with the, with the team or to Charlotte. He flew to Greensboro where uh, Xavier was playing in the NCAA tournament, Sean Miller, the coach at Xavier, and that was his coach for his last two years at Arizona. He wanted to see them play, but because he was going somewhere else, he had to fly uh, differently, right? Not on the team plane. So he flew in a four-passenger plane with uh, Rick Carlisle piloting it, another pilot on board as well. But Carlisle flew the plane. There was two others on board and T.J. McConnell. His quote made me laugh. He said, Rick Carlisle trusts me on the court, so I trusted him. To fly the plane, that, that that seems like a little mm-hmm. bit different. Yeah, <laughs> slightly different responsibilities there. Yeah, <laughs> I think a turnover up in the air wouldn't be the best thing in the world. <laughs> yeah, right. McConnell had four turnovers last night. If Rick <laughs> had that, that would be different. But yeah, so they flew to Greensboro. McConnell went and saw Xavier play uh, before they met up with the team uh, in North Carolina for that game. So yeah, certainly a unique flight situation for McConnell that had to be really cool and I I think uh, Carlisle's been a pilot for about a decade now back maybe even a little bit more than that back when he was the coach of the Mavs logged a ton of hours doing that I was reading a story about it yesterday uh, after McConnell shared that so it had to be a really cool experience and also look even if you trust someone with your life always frightening those little four passenger planes so I'm sure it was fun and interesting all at the same time for TJ telling you what It'd have to be absolutely spectacularly perfect weather conditions for me to go up and <laughs> in one of those things. But convenient for sure. Hey, Mr. East, we appreciate it this morning. Of course, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, have fun in your third grade class today, Tony East. <laughs> uh, he's not a teacher. We're just kidding there. Uh, 
right there on the Payless Liquors hotline. So you would you would not do it? I, I mean, I would. It there's a convenience to it for certain, but and, and I've you know have, let me here's is a good subject actually. What's the most turbulence you've ever had on a plane? Recently, I went down to Atlanta, uh, a couple of buddies of mine, to visit a friend, and it was—I mean, it was brutal. It's and, rough, and, and one of the three of us does not do well. I mean, he—he's looking up turbulence, you know, apps and you know turbulence checkers. Like he's he, not a great flyer. Um, it was—I was trying to be like somewhat stoic, but it was brutal. So I, you know, what I have always said, and I, it's probably a common theme for people, but when I'm in turbulence. I always look around 